Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. John Harbour to our show. John is the provost for Purdue University Global in West Lafayette, Indiana, and has been gracious enough to come on the show today and be our guest for our podcast. So with that, John, I'd like to welcome you to our show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Dave. So can you talk a little bit about uh, Purdue Global and why students select your institution? Yeah, that, that's a great question, and and some of some of your listeners may not be very familiar with Purdue University Global. Most people have heard of Purdue University, the the land grant institution here in West Lafayette, Indiana. Purdue University Global is the online university of the Purdue University system. So we're a fully online university. We serve the needs primarily of working adults. So the average age of our student is about thirty. We have about 35,000 students across the United States. Um, and these are working adults who are looking for, you know, really a transformational educational experience to move their lives and careers ahead. We offer associate's degrees, certificates, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and a couple of doctoral degrees as well. But they're very um, applied pragmatic degrees. Many of our faculty are practitioners, and so this is you know, an adult education focused university, fully online, very flexible for our learners um, and really is making a difference for that community. Uh, we have a large percentage of our students who uh, are Pell eligible, about 40% are traditionally underserved groups, about 30% are military or military affiliated. So it's a really important population to be working with. Purdue University Global has been named that, have been in existence with that, that title for only uh, about three years. Before that, it was Kaplan University. So the Purdue University system acquired Kaplan University, renamed it, it became a public um, and now operates uh, from West Lafayette. Um, and it's doing some slightly different things as part of the Purdue system than it did as Kaplan University. but. Many of the faculty are the same, wonderfully well-qualified and dedicated uh, people that, that, that we were under, under the Kaplan University banner. So why do students select Purdue Global? Well, you know, they're, they're looking for a flexible, accessible education that is focused on helping them achieve their goals so they can move ahead with their lives and careers. Many of them, or some of them, have some college no degree, so it's a degree completion for them. Some of them are looking for that next credential to get a raise or to get a new job. Some want to change careers. So um, we, we focus primarily on degrees and programs that, that are well matched to, to employment opportunities. So students choose Purdue Global because of our flexibility, because of the, the really strong support we provide around careers and outcomes. Um, and the fact that our faculty are laser focused on on teaching and, and student success outcomes. So uh, 
what about the schedules for these students? Are they like the traditional 15 week or are they cut in half or how do, how do your schedules work? Yeah, great question. So we have a couple of different options. We actually have an, an Excel track where students can work at their own pace. Um, and so, so that's one option for students. Um, and, and if our students have a lot of experience, but that hasn't really been translated into courses or credentials yet, they can often move pretty quickly through through those modules and units and, and finish much more quickly than a traditional degree. Um, if the students are in our regular program, which most of them are, then we have a 10 week term. We're actually on a quarter system um, okay. and students uh, will take those 10 week units, sometimes one, sometimes two courses at a time to fit into their schedule. These are working adults, so they're not coming to a campus and, and taking a full co course load. Most of us, almost all of our students are part time. Well, that sounds it. So, so instead of the 15 week semester, they're in a quarter system or basically 10, 10 weeks they go through. That, that, yes, that's correct. But we also have multiple starts. Right. So um, we have different paths, basically. So, so if a student says, look, you know, I'm really interested in getting started within a few weeks, they can start. So they don't have to wait till the beginning of the next academic oh. year to start a program. So we have multiple starts during the year. That, that, that sure would be great for, I could see as a working adult, just like myself. So if I, if I'm unable to do it this month, I can probably start in a couple of months from now and get yeah. on track. That's Absolutely. great. That's yeah. great. Well, you know, when I look at uh, how, um, everything's kind of been changing for all the colleges and universities over the last eight months. I hate to ask this question, but, you know, hopefully 2021 is going to be a lot better. So what's new for Purdue Global for 2021, be it uh, partnerships or programs or things of that nature? Yeah, 2020 has been an interesting year. And as, as you know, Dave, I, I actually started my year at a traditional bricks and mortar residential campus. So was heavily involved in all of the preparations for, for responding to COVID and, and helping faculty, staff and students deal with that and, and having students, some, some students come to campus. I then transitioned to the, the fully online university role, which is suddenly all of, a lot of those concerns disappeared, right? So with a fully online university, you're not thinking about, oh my goodness, how do we distant students in a campus setting. Um, so it was a very different type of environment than a residential campus. Um, and it's one that, that students flock to. So we've seen a dramatic increase in enrollment uh, in 2020. It looks like that's gonna continue in 2021. Um, we, we're launching a lot of new programs that are matched to the opportunities that arise as the economy changes, as, as we respond to, to this. Uh, one of the things we actually launched in 2020 that has been very successful is we, we put together a course around uh, COVID contact tracing. So at the beginning of the pandemic, obviously that was a new opportunity that a lot, not many people have been trained. So in three weeks flat, we put together a non-credit contact tracing course that's wow. now trained over 4,000 people have completed that, that course. That's great. Um, but equally, a small subset of those were so excited by their learning and look more Purdue Global programs. So some of them have, have moved into uh, health education degree programs, or some of them were actually, who previously had been in programs that stepped away and now have re-engaged. So um, clearly health programs, we have a new degree in, in health education and, and health promotion that's coming out in 2021. Um, 
like a lot of institutions, you know, we, we've seen the opportunities for students in, in IT areas. So we're launching a new mm. graduate program in data analytics. Um, but I'd say, you know, a couple of big things that we've been doing is that a lot of learners now um, are looking not just at traditional degrees, but at you know, certificates and micro credentials and micro degrees. And so we're moving a lot of our programs to include Yes, the traditional full degree, if that's what you're aiming for, but also along the way, the opportunity to earn industry credentials or certificates or we have micro credentials so that that as you move through your education, you're, you're not waiting four years to get to something that gets you that next job or promotion, that each year you've got something tangible. Maybe it's a, an IT certification or an HR certification or a, a, some sort of credential that you can take to your employer and say, look, I've made progress. And in some cases that results in a pay raise or a promotion. So we're doing a lot of stackable programs. Um, we're also exploring a lot of interesting partnerships with other institutions and increasingly students are saying, look, you know, I, I want to do this here. They're, they're really good at this piece, but I see something else over here. So students are, are piecing together a full education from multiple institutions, and we're trying to be as accessible and flexible as possible for that model as well. So um, some interesting sort of structural changes happening at the university to, to better meet what we're seeing our learners you know, need to move ahead in their lives. Boy, that is really exciting because I know you know, a lot of two-year college deans uh, are always approached by the communities asking for, we don't want a degree, we want credentials, we want micro-credentials, we want to get them job ready. And it, mm -hmm. and it sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing. We have a, a very interesting new collaboration with the, the Gallup organization. Um, and you may be familiar with their Strengths Finder program. Um, mm -hmm. But we're working with them. We're, we're actually creating a series of, of courses that equal the Strengths Finder program. And they're working with high school students who will come out, will get a job with the company because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not choosing to go straight to higher education. But the company will sponsor them to take these modules. They'll get a, a certificate basically in Gallup Strengths. But that's a, a building block towards getting an associate's degree. So they're working, they're getting a credential that their employer cares about, and that credential is a building block towards continuation onto an associate's degree that will probably be tied in, into uh, the job that they have and, and what they're seeing as their career path. So, you know, we're a university that's very, very tied into employer and community needs. We have a lot of good employer partners and we can customize programs to you know, they're, they're the career paths in their organizations. Wow, super. So, you know, what you, you mentioned that um, you were at a brick and mortar school, you know, when I, when I look at your, when I look at your bio, you were the, you were the uh, basically provost at the University of, um, I'm sorry, the University, I was going to say the University of Montana, but in Missoula. Yes. And, yeah. uh, Montana. And prior to that, you were the uh, executive director at Purdue as the um, digital education associate vice president for teaching and learning at Purdue. And then, of course, leaving the University of Montana, you went back to Purdue as now the 
provost of Purdue Global. So my question is, you, you're now at, a, at a, an online school. Prior to that, you were at a brick and mortar school. So, you know, what's it like to oversee one compared to the other? I, I, it just seems like it would, there might be some similarities, but I assume there's a whole lot of differences and there's a lot, a lot of different challenges and rewards too. So... Yeah, no, it is, it's been an interesting career. As you say, I've, I've spent quite a lot of time at traditional bricks and mortar universities. Much of my career was at Purdue University, West Lafayette, where I held a range of administrative appointments and was a faculty member for many, many years. And But I've also spent a little bit of time at the University of Colorado at Denver, as you say, at the University of Montana, as well as actually internationally visiting a couple of other campuses uh, around the world. So so the move to a fully online university has been sort of a big step. But at the same time, one of my last jobs at Purdue in West Lafayette was to oversee the online courses and programs for a traditional university. And also at the University of Montana, one of my initiatives was trying to build online programs. So there's a thread here that, that leads through. I think, you know, there are some, a lot of similarities, right? These are large, complicated organizations with wonderful people, um, complex processes, and an ever-changing environment that has to be managed. I mean, higher education sounds like it's something that's sort of monolithic and doesn't change, but Dave, as you know well, you know, things change actually very quickly. Our ability to respond to them isn't always quite as nimble, but, um, you know, our, our, the communities we're in change, the states we're in change, the overall global environment changes, and we have to be responding to that. Uh, there are changing regulations that we have to respond to. So many of those things are the same for a bricks and mortar and an online university. I would say some of the differences are, well, with a, with a bricks and mortar campus, you're dealing with buildings and you're dealing with maintenance and you're dealing with, you know, the the, the, net, the, the unending <laughs> uh, need to repair and replace um, so that's important, uh, and that's something that we don't have with an online university. With an on-campus university, you're in, in a location. Uh, with an online university, I have staff and employees all across the country. So if there's a hurricane in Florida or a tornado in the Midwest or snow in the Rockies or fires in California, doesn't matter where it is, I have people there. And so I have to be much more aware of supporting uh, faculty, staff, and students across the country rather than focusing on one particular location. Um, that dispersed workforce um, and dispersed student body, you know, really adds a lot to the diversity of our community. And that's an important part of, of the learning experience and the team experience. Um, so that, that's, that, that's an interesting difference, um, you know, we have a, a small number of people here in West Lafayette, but the deans that I work with, for example, you know, live from the West Coast to the East Coast. And so when we get together, which we do on a regular basis, it's, it's using the equivalent of this Zoom conversation. It's a, um, it's a video conference. And so we don't get together in the same room as frequently as we would on a face-to-face -face campus. Um, and so we have to make sure we do some things to, to adjust to that, right? Uh, we've all learned under COVID that there are strategies that you can use to stay close to people uh, when you don't get to be in the same room with them on a, on a regular basis. So that's a bit of a difference. Um, you know, we're spread across four time zones. <laughs> so that's, you know, 
that, that you have to take that into account as you organize that dean's meeting you've got to realize that we got all the way from the west coast to the east coast um, and also for our students you know they're on some very different time schedules as i said earlier we have quite a large fraction of active military and so they're actually around the world and so we all of our courses have fully asynchronous options for students who need to have that type of flexibility so there was some differences between the online and the on-campus. I'd say another difference for me is that Purdue Global, um, because of its history, has a fairly unique faculty structure. We have full-time faculty, full-time adjuncts, and part-time adjuncts. And our full-time faculty um, are, are not tenure-track, and so they have expectations that include teaching, a small component of research and obviously service to the university. Um, but we're, we're much more flexible and nimble than, than many of the other universities that I've worked with. I mentioned the contact tracing course that, that came up in, in three weeks flat. Another thing that we worked on this last year was with, with the, the Black Lives Matter movement, with a lot of the social movements that were going on not only in the US, but, but globally. We took a careful look at our criminal justice programs and introduced some changes to reflect community policing and social work angles and, and those types of things. And that was done in a few months flat. Um, at a traditional university, one I was at previously asked about doing the same thing, and it would have taken about two years to achieve what we achieved in a few months at a Purdue Global. So, so we have a nimbleness because of our structure and our governance system. Um, that, that allows us to respond much more quickly to opportunities of, you know, learner needs than I was able to um, at, a, at, at other universities I'd been at. So that's been an interesting difference. Well, you know, I remember, gosh, when uh, I was putting together a, an online room and we were trying to figure out the best way to do it, I gave you a call and in about 15 minutes, you already, you told me exactly how to set this up, which was, which was, so easy to do. And of course, then from our standpoint, we got our faculty and staff involved. So, you know, to say, you know, your stuff is really, <laughs> yes, you really do understand that. My question is, you know, how, how does Purdue Global prepare their faculty, you know, compared to how you prepared faculty at the brick and mortar schools when they're doing online education or is, or is it the same? Oh, that's fascinating. Um, so I'm actually, as, so as the relatively new provost, I'm actually going through the, the online training for new online faculty at Purdue Global. Uh, I'm not a very good student, but I'm, I'm a bit behind with my assignments at the moment. But, but that's the first thing that was noticeable is there's a, there's a well-developed, in-depth training program for all of our new adjuncts and, and, and full-time faculty that not only teaches you about online teaching and learning, but it models it, right? So it immerses you as a learner in a course where you're learning about online teaching and learning, um, but you're experiencing it as a learner as well. So very, very powerful. Um, I compare that to my own experience as a new faculty member back in, well, admittedly a previous millennium, <laughs> where it was sort of sink or swim for teaching, especially at a research one institution. There was almost no training at all in, in pedagogy. Um, and so, you know, certainly because of the focus of the university, a lot of time and effort is put into training the faculty and we have a particular model. I mean, we're dealing with adult learners. So we have a, a, an online teaching model that was 
developed around the, the research and best practice for online learning for adults. It's not the same as classroom teaching for 18 year olds, right? So, so it is important that all of our faculty understand that model um, and work consistently with it. And that's great for our students because whether you're in your first course of a program or your last course of the program, lots of things will be the same. The structure, the format, because it's all driven by the same theory of learning for adults online. So there's a, there's a great deal of consistency here, which is highly effective for our learners. I compare that to a, a bricks and mortar campus um, where many of the faculty um, have had some training in pedagogy, some of them haven't. Many of those PhD programs don't actually include much in terms of training to teach. And so you get this wide variety of experiences in the classroom. Um, and it's the same in many of the online programs that faculty would design something that they think is good and you know, based on their background and that's great, but it's like you go from one course to the other, it's like you've gone from one continent to another in terms of that experience. So, um, you know, I know with our uh, Purdue West Lafayette online programs, we worked hard to encourage faculty to take some good training in online, uh, online teaching techniques and some of them did and some of them declined. So um, it, it's a, there's a lot more variability um, in, in many other universities in terms of what that online experience is like. But there are lots of great ways to engage students online um, and lots of really good programs out there. I remember the, the best advice you ever gave me, and, I, and I, I bet you probably told this to a lot of people, is you said, if, if I can teach faculty how to be a good online instructor, they'll be a phenomenal face-to-face -face instructor. You would always talk about the qualities that you learn about how to teach online really translates over into a, to a traditional classroom. Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, COVID has been a, a terrible thing in many ways. Um, but one thing it's done is it's forced many faculty who probably wouldn't have experimented with online methodologies to experiment and to get some experience and to learn, you know, from good materials and sometimes learn from their mistakes. Um, and I think many of them, as soon as, you know, conditions return to whatever the new normal is, will want to have dominantly face-to-face -face instruction but they'll have learned some things from the online experience. And they're probably more, more likely to have hybrid courses, um, do the things that online does really well, they'll, they'll encourage their students to do that online and they'll use their face-to-face -face classroom time very differently, uh, focus much more on, on experiential learning, on interactivity and less on just your know, broadcast of content that um, you know, is probably has not ever been the best use of classroom time, but that's been a traditional use of a lot of classroom time. So, yeah, I, I think it forces people to, to think differently about how they're facilitating the learning of the students. Um, and that's, that's got to translate into different approaches face-to-face. -face. Yeah, good. Um, what, what adjustments has Purdue Global, since you mentioned COVID, what, what adjustments has Purdue Global made uh, to its programs during this pandemic and really all uh, all global uh, issues happening right now. Yeah, well, and I mentioned earlier that the sort of quick adjustments we made around contact tracing, for example, um, our criminal justice program adjustments. Um, 
we actually have a, a, a very large nursing program that includes some ground locations. So in the nursing program, we move to a lot of virtual reality simulations to replace part of the, the hands-on experiential learning. So like a, a number of institutions, we've been exploring, you know, how far can we push um, virtual reality and augmented virtual reality to create experiences that don't expose our students to, to potential risk, um, but at the same time develop those, you know, almost that muscle memory, those, those responses that are gonna be important in the live situation. And so we've done a lot of, of interesting work with that. Um, you know, it, it, compared to a, to a bricks and mortar campus, we've not had to make the adjustments that many other places have had. Our biggest adjustment has been so many more students turning up. <laughs> so we've, we've had to add faculty, um, which is always a good problem to have, right? Um, and we have a lot of very dedicated faculty who've been delighted to join Purdue Global. And because our faculty are remote, you know, they, they don't have to relocate to do that. And so we're seeing people, you know, really enthusiastic about being able to have a good job teaching online without um, having to relocate and without having face-to-face -face interaction with students. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I've I've given a lot of thought to that. You know, back in spring when everybody was forced to go online, for for a lot of faculty, this was all a new thing. They they didn't know how to do it. Uh, so I was thinking, as a student, would they would they decide to go? You know what? I'm going to go someplace who's used to doing online, and, instead of going to. Uh, a traditional brick and mortar who's now doing online. So, so I was going to ask you, did what was your increase of students since um, COVID has happened? Well, we're up significantly since COVID has happened, and a subset of that are those you know younger age students, the the, the so-called traditional who are probably not traditional anymore. But but you know I've seen emails from students saying, look, you know everywhere's online. So I picked a university that's actually been doing this for a long time and has a focus on online learning. So some students are making that, that selection, but many of our traditional bricks and mortars have had online units for quite a long time. And those units have helped, you know, face-to-face -face faculty quickly get up to speed with online pedagogies. So I've been impressed by the quality of, of online courses and programs that have been put together by university faculty who hadn't had much experience in that. I mean, these are bright people, they can learn quickly. And, and so, you know, we have seen an increase in, in that younger working adult population, but our largest increase is in, is in the working adults because, you know, to be honest, during COVID, a lot of people had more time available. Maybe they were furloughed. And with that time, they're saying, okay, well, how can I get an additional credential so that, you know, post COVID, I'm even more competitive for the jobs that will be available. Um, you know, some, some workers were, were, were laid off, right? And you know, have lost their jobs. And they're, now they're looking for how do I translate my experience, my knowledge into a credential? Um, in fact, one of the new programs we're, we're launching at the moment is around organizational management. And where that really came from was, uh, you know, right now a lot of workers in hospitality have been you know, let go. And in, in quite a few cases, they have many years of experience, but perhaps not a degree. And so we were doing a lot of prior learning assessment with that group to value and celebrate and reward 
the amazing experience they have in managing complex organizations in leading teams. We can give academic credit for that and then help them get finished with a, an associate's or a bachelor's degree and then be ready for that next job opportunity. Maybe not in hospitality anymore, but in, in, in one of the areas that has grown rapidly in the current, uh, current situation. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it, it was impressive to watch colleges and universities step up in a short period of time and put resources toward their faculty to try to get them up to speed on this. And really, I thought a lot of the faculty did a good job on trying to do, you know, in a very short period of time, moving their moving their traditional class that they've done for 15 years, all of a sudden to online. So I was really happy to see that that outcome. That was pretty impressive to watch the faculty do that. Yeah. Um, so then how do you see online education post-pandemic? So post-pandemic, I think, you know, we've probably leapt forward by about 10 years in terms of traditional faculty's understanding of the possibilities of hybrid and online education. Uh, we've also exposed a large number of students to you know, online and I, I like to call it remote learning because a lot of it wasn't really fully online learning. It was face-to-face -face put on a screen. And so, you know, students have been exposed to a wide range of things. And I think they're going to be um, savvy consumers of online in the future. I think many employers too, you know, as they've thought about how do I support my workers during this, this difficult time period, have looked at the online universities as an opportunity to provide training, upskilling, reskilling of, of their employees. So I think the online universities will grow and they are growing quickly. Um, I think you know, we're, we're seeing the rise of some, some very large online organizations that provide quality at scale. Um, but at the same time, I see a lot of the, the regional universities have realized that to serve their region, relying on everyone to relocate to a particular place is just, you know, it doesn't, doesn't meet their mission anymore. So I think a lot of our traditional universities will see the, an increase in the number and scale of fully online and hybrid programs that they have so they can better serve the region that they're in. And as you know, Dave, in a place like Montana, you know, you have a, an amazing population of people who are in rural areas who won't relocate, but could benefit and, and you know, their communities need, you know, access to high quality, higher education to move their economies and communities forward. Um, how about just higher education in general? How do you see higher ed be it the community college or a regional university or, or, a, or a research one institute. How do you see them evolving in five years? 2026, how do you see higher ed? So I think, you know, as I think about where higher ed is headed, I mean, the, 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 the core value of higher education to society is still very much there. We rely on higher education to create uh, an, an educated population that is essential for our communities to thrive, our businesses to, to thrive, our economy to thrive. And so it, it will still be extremely important. And the research ones obviously are pushing the frontiers of knowledge that's really important for our society as a whole, as well as to create the intellectual property that keeps our, 
our economy and our society highly competitive. So I, I'm still a, a very, very strong supporter of higher education. And I, I think with with the the administration change, that emphasis will be very, very important. But I think there's also an important change that's been going on in terms of the relationship that higher education institutions have with their communities and with employers. And so we're seeing the growth of of IBM certificates and Google learning and Amazon learning. And so you know, I, I think there will be a lot more partnerships where the universities are tailoring education to the needs of um, employers and, and their employees in ways that help advance those, those individuals and those organizations, but stay true to the educational values and rigor of, of the educational institutions, community colleges, four-year institutions, graduate institutions. So I think we've seen this in, in the funding agencies that in addition to you know, purely knowledge for its own sake, there's, there's funding allocated to things that meet more immediate societal needs. So I think higher education will be balancing doing its traditional core function of we're going to do amazing things purely to advance the knowledge of humanity. And at the same time, we're going to be looking at how does that help solve problems today? And how does that how improve life today? And how do we take that intellectual property into organizations today? So that, that balance, I think, will continue to evolve over time. You know, when I look at your CV, man, are you a boilermaker? You know, you, <laughs> you know like I said, I, you know, initially, you know, I talked about you being an executive director before you went to UM. And then when you left there and went back to be the provost at Purdue Global. But you joined Purdue back in 1994. You became a full professor in 2001. And you held some, a wide range of leadership positions. You were the associate vice president for research. You were the dean of College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. You were the founding interim director of Global Sustainability Institute, and you were the founding co-director of Learning Research Center. I mean, just listen to a few of those things. So, so, so to say yeah, the I, least, you've, I couldn't, you've been... <laughs> I, I couldn't hold a job very long, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, when I first met you um, in in Missoula, like I said, I I really didn't know your background. So so I was excited just reviewing your CV. It's like holy cow. And you've been around the block a few times on in, in higher education. And because of that extensive leadership role, you know, you have such a wide range of leadership positions, academia. What lessons have you learned along the way about building and leading teams during challenging times? You know, and that that's a great question. It's one that I've reflected on many, many times over the years. And it's interesting, my last podcast actually last weekend was with with my undergraduate institution, which was Cambridge University. Um, and I was reflecting that was actually my first exposure to leadership. As an undergraduate student, I got involved in a, a club, the Explorers and Travelers Club, a very sort of dated concept. But um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm first gen, low income and had never really traveled much before. And then the end of my second year, I'm leading an expedition of six students, the Himalayas. You know, I mean, just stunningly stupid. But, but you know, you learn a lot by, you know, doing something you've never done before and working with a group of people. And, um, you know, I think that really started me along the path of, of leadership. 
Um, and since then, it's been my, you know, it's been my pleasure and honor to, to work with a wide range of teams. I, I, I co-lead international scientific research projects. So I work with people from many different cultures, as well as have had the opportunity to work with centers and departments and colleges in American higher education institutions. So I enjoy the, the, the opportunity and the challenge of bringing a group of people together and getting them to, to really you know, have a great time and excel in, in achieving the goals that, that, that they have for themselves. So some things I've learned from that is, well, you know, diversity is key. You know, six people who know exactly the same thing isn't as good as six people who have different lived experiences, different areas of expertise. So bringing together widely different people is, is really important and figuring out how how they get on with each other and enjoy and respect each other is really important in, in getting a team to, to, to work well. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that old saying that, you know, find really good people and get them on the bus and then figure out where they sit. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's part of what I do in, in building teams is I've hired some people who, you know, on the surface of it, it's like, wait a second, they don't have any experience in what you just hired them to do. And the answer is, well, yeah, they may not, but boy, look at all the other things they've done. They're really talented. They'll, they'll, we'll, we'll figure out how we work as a team to get those things done. So rather than being rigidly focused on, it has to be someone who's done these 17 things. And there's only one person in the world that fits that. Um, being, you know, a lot of my job descriptions are, are, are much more open. And so we can we can consider a wide range of people. In fact, we have uh, finalist interviews this week for a position that we created called the Innovation Catalyst. And that sort of wow. says something about how I build a team and, and what we're trying to do here. So, you know, wide range of people, different strengths and perspectives, give them an opportunity, the freedom to sort of work together, to make mistakes, to fail quickly and, and learn from that. So. There doesn't have to be, you know, huge amounts of stress on them to produce a particular budgetary target by the end of the first quarter. I mean, they've got to have the freedom to explore, to grow, to learn, uh, to innovate. Um, you know, I'm often asking people, oh, so, you know, what do you think? What are your ideas on this? And, and I try to speak last rather than first. I want all of the ideas to come from the whole group. And then I fill in with other things I might have thought of that, that add. Um, during challenging times, I think, you know, we've all been through the COVID nightmare. I mean, that, that was challenging for many of our organizations. You know, what I saw is that teams respond the way that they've been training, practicing, working together during normal times. So in the institutions I was involved in, I was thrilled to see that all of that practice around emergency management or change management or you know, I think many of our universities have done those active shooter drills. I mean, we practice for different things, but the teams and the, the trust that those teams had of each, with each other made the difference in the response to COVID. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, one thing I've learned is it's important, you know, when, when those emergencies aren't happening to continuously practice them. Practice as if, you know, in this scenario, what would we do if this happened, if this happened, so that it's not a, oh, my goodness, you know, who's, who's going to do what? We all know that even though it wasn't the one we trained for, this is sort of how our team works to, to 
tackle those opportunities and those challenges. So build the muscles, build the behaviors and the trust. And I guess that the last thing I'd mention is that, you know, I'm, I'm a very positive person. Um, one of a person I used to work with once said, you know, for some people, the glass is half full and some it's half empty. And John, it's always, always overflowing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah, we screw things up once in a while and, and things don't work out the way where we planned, but, but you've got to have a supportive, positive environment. It's okay to make and admit to mistakes as well as success, celebrate the successes. If people are afraid of making mistakes, they're not going to be as creative. They're not going to be as innovative. Um, they're going to stick to what, the, what they've done before that was rewarded and not change it. So, so in, in terms of you know, leading during challenging times, it's okay to, to, to screw things up. And, and I'll admit when I screw things up and you know, celebrate that and so that other people feel like they have permission to try stuff. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Good words of wisdom. I, I always enjoyed listening to you on, on things like this. So that, that was very beneficial. Well, it looks like um, we're about ready to wrap this up. So John, I really say thank you so much for, for being on the show today. I, it was good seeing you and it sounds like you're a great fit once again, back at Purdue. Um, you know, I, I know, like I said, you, you've had a lot of uh, different experiences, but you're definitely a boilermaker to say the least. So I'm glad to see you back in West Lafayette. <laughs> no, it, it, it's been a great university for my life and career and my family too. And it, it's great to be a part of this community in so many different ways. And I think that's that's the joy of a, of a career is finding the things where you can add value and that make you happy and that, uh, that, that sort of put a smile on your face. And, and, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of my former students and I get a lot of joy of seeing them grow and, and succeed in their lives and careers and with their families. So it's a, I, I can't believe how lucky we are to be in, in education. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.